Butas Network. Hi, this is Devin Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of The Scholarly Warrior. In this episode, the hosts discuss the book Samurai Women, 1184 to 1877 by Osprey Publishing. We hope you enjoy the show. and this is Scholarly Warrior. <laughs> Hello, Terrace Cassidy. I just got to turn on my extra smoothness in the accent, which, other than that, <laughs> some people love and some people really hate. So if you are among us, I'm sorry. Not much I can do about it. <laughs> I'll try to leave out my A's. Cool. Let's go play. So what book are we playing with today? Perfect. We're playing with uh, Samurai Women by Stephen Turnbull. It was published in uh, 10th of October, 2010. Illustrator was Gillespie Rava and published by Osprey Publishing. Sweet. So that's what we're looking at. And Turnbull is kind of a legend when it comes to books about Japanese history because he has published so much. There are like literally three gazillion books he has done. Literally, I quote me on that. It's three gazillion, not two nine nine nine. It's three gazillion books. Is yeah, he has written so much. Um, so if you have even remotely interested in Japanese history, the odds are high that you're probably running one of his books. It tends to be more, you know, it, it's popular history, right? It's designed to be more for the masses. It's not like super nerdy academic stuff, but. In my personal opinion, he does a very good job, but let's go play with this one. This one is specifically on samurai women, which is kind of a more obscure topic, of course, because the vast majority of uh, samurai were, or, or, or what we think of samurai, because, you know, samurai was a class, so of course there were men and women. What we think of samurai are the guys going out in armor, fighting, and everything else. So among those, the women would be a definitely an exception. There were some, but they were definitely an exception. But yeah, the topic is women of the samurai class, I guess. That's probably an easier way to frame it. Right. Yeah, I, uh, the goal for me f- to read this book was to find out if there was women, females, that picked up the blade and trained as a samurai. Uh-huh. I, you know, ever since I read James Cavell back in the day, Shogun, I was been interested interested in samurai culture and Budo and Japanese religion. and, and But I was always wondering, well, where... Are there women that also have done so? So that's that was kind of where I why I wanted to do this book because it was a subject that I've been interesting in some time and just wanted to know if if it was there was such an animal. So, and what what would you say? What's your takeaway here? 
we have a whole book dedicated to the very topic of answering your question. So what's, what's your vibe on the whole thing? Right. You know, it was funny because, uh, first of all, the book is just a, is a bunch of stories, minuets of, of cool insights into the time and various uh, sites of, of things that happened throughout feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. And, and, and prior to that, too, right? So I, at first, I, I was a little bit confused. Like, I didn't, I didn't really I, – I always want these books to be a little bit more – have a little bit more depth, a little bit more budo about them or a little bit spirituality. And I was wondering, okay, where is that? After I read the book and let it sit for a little bit, a little while, I kind of realized that he was kind of talking about that all the way through. Every woman that, woman that was portrayed in the story was involved in the warrior way in some way. Had Some, some were standing and fighting, some were sallying forth from a castle, uh, lots were committing ritual suicide, and even asking their local lord if they could act on their plans for revenge. So I think that while I was reading the book, I was trying to figure out if if that was the quote unquote that 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 iconic samurai that that you discussed earlier about whether you know the the vision of the samurai that we in the west have mm-hmm. if that translated well into what was discussed and i think only after i read the book and let it sit for a bit that i say ah there's budo there's budo there's budo right. what do you think yeah i think it's tricky because one of the things to realize is that the the traditional image that we have of the samurai has been very much romanticized. It's kind of like the gunslinger in the Old West. You know, there, there's a certain mythology about it where the reality sometimes matches, sometimes doesn't. So there's um, like one of the things that I was getting by reading more and more, because in this period I read this book, but I was also kind of diving deep into Japanese history, is realizing that particularly pre Tokugawa period, so prior to the 1600s, the samurai were not philosophizing all that much. They weren't the kind of people that you would, you know, sit down to have a conversation with. They were, you know, if you needed somebody to stick a spear into somebody, they were your guys, but otherwise they were not the most philosophically driven kind of people. So that whole idea of, uh, you know, Bushido, the code of the warrior, all of that kind of stuff, it seems to be more of a later invention than and oddly enough, something that comes in when the samurai start outliving their usefulness in terms of warfare during times of peace, that's right. when they kind of try to reinvent themselves a little bit with, you know, what does it mean to be a samurai? When people needed warriors, it was pretty clear what it meant to be a samurai. And I think the more philosophical aspect comes in later. Uh, partially as they need to kind of rationalize and figure out their position in society. Because, you know, you, a warrior class in a society that has become peaceful, it's obviously a bit of a tricky proposition. Right. You need, they need to find their place, and hence Budo and, and the, the legend comes from that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so even for... You know, that's the thing, is like when somebody says samurai women, I mean, for me too, when I read the title of the book, in my mind was lady in armor with a katana going into battle, that kind of thing. Whereas one of the first things to understand is that samurai women does not, I mean, it can also mean that, but the other thing is that it means the, the samurai were a class, like the merchants, the whatever else, which means that there's families, there's equal number of men and women, 
Now, that doesn't mean that the women were all putting on armor and going to fight. They were women of the samurai class. Doesn't, doesn't mean they were soldiers. You know, so there's a difference between the two things. Then Turnbull also gets into the cases where the, the image that we have of the samurai and women actually match, where it's not just simply women of the samurai class who are married to a guy who then goes out and does these things, but when they themselves became warriors. So there are cases of that, but those are a little more the exception than the rule, whereas the, as far as women of the samurai class, well, they were just half, you know, half of the population of the samurai were men and half were women in that sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I would have to agree that uh, those, there there were stories where I was going, okay, is that a, is that a samurai though? Like there there was uh, talk about uh, ancient Japanese shaman uh, women that were controlling the, the political system back in the day. And I'm like, okay, well, I see where he's going with it. I see that there's a direction, a yeah. flow of the book. But there was many examples of, of okay, what exactly do we mean by, by that? I think that's because – as you mentioned, that the that the the images of samurai is kind of confused in even those people that have you know even those people that have read a lot about it, mm-hmm. uh, namely me, for instance. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my my vision of 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 the the myth and the and what actually happened is very much confused. So when I'm looking at a book like this, I'm trying to look for clarity where I, I don't even have it in my, myself in a lot of ways. Well, and I think that's that part of the problem that he's having on picking such an obscure topic is that clearly the sources are limited. There's not that much material on the topic that he's trying to research. So he's mixing together a lot of different things. He's mixing together the stories of uh, what we would think when we read the title. Okay, women from the samurai class dressed in battle gear out fighting. That's a very small right. number of cases. There were, but not that many. Then there are female, right. females of the samurai class who may be at home minding their business, but their castle is attacked, and so maybe they, how they handle business. Then you have cases like the shaman one that you brought up that are not really samurai per se at all, not of the samurai class, not fighters, but they are women who play a particularly important leadership role and sometimes even a fighting role in Japanese history, even though they are not from that class. So, you know, that's kind of where, um, um, th- that's where some of the confusion may kick in, is that, of course, in order to be able to write a book on the topic, he's speaking from several different examples. Because realistically, you know, if he was to write a book on one of these aspects, that would be a much thinner book than it already is. I, I agree. Now, let's then, if that's the case, let's talk, let's talk about the those that we think are our our vision of this of samurai women. What we would think yeah. would be the kind of the highlights. But I do want to before we do that, I want to just hit on that there was some documentation that talked about uh, weapons, like the naginata uh, that yeah. the women were portrayed to often would have. And there are also lots of uh, uh, historical, lots of historical art in the in the book with women with ar- armor on. So that, I think that that's really interesting that that's a ca- that is a case because yeah, that clearly exist. there were women walking around, right? And it's great that they they mentioned the Naginata because it was considered uh, 
not it wasn't considered a woman's weapon, so to speak. It was considered a good weapon for women to use. Yes, that's probably a better way to put it. And it, it, it had a short blade. It was a short blade on top, so kind of like a pike, almost. I guess you would say. Yeah, exactly. A spear between a spear and. Uh, I think what was great about this weapon for women is that it was more easily, there was more momentum. You can create more more momentum with the blade if if you were that whatever men are 23% stronger on average or whatever it is. And that's not always the case on average for sure. Um, The uh, action really was really good. And these weapons were super sharp and there was master masters swordsmiths that also made naginata blades so yeah. it's not it's not just this you know kind of a throwaway weapon it's a weapon that's really used for for training and and for and for fighting and i was really fascinated that there was a lot of art historical art showing women training with these blades mm-hmm. so again that that was kind of a proof of what he was trying to say is that yeah that the image of of, a, of the fighting woman in feudal Japan is there. Yeah. You know what I mean? He so. makes a point that the art is probably a little idealized in the sense that, you know, in many cases, a, a true female samurai that she's, um, that, that's out fighting would look pretty much like a male samurai because she would be covered with helmet and everything else. Um, but you know, he say in the art, you usually see them without a helmet in order to show their faces so that you can understand that they are women. There is, but that's having said that, he also does say that based on archaeology, there seems to be that actually there were more female fighting samurai than, um, than one would think, than sources, uh, let us think. So, you know, b- both aspects I think are true right there. Right, I agree. So, what was your what was your favorite one of your favorite stories? Well, maybe we'll go back and forth to go over a couple of our favorite little vignettes or something like that. Uh, well, my all time favorite when it comes to female samurai, hands down, is the story of Tomoe Godzen, and she's probably the best example that we have of a true female samurai. She was supposed to be the... It's unclear whether she was a lover, whether she was a retainer, what exactly her relationship was to Minamoto Kizo, one of the warlords of the Genpei Wars. And so, you know, some of the details are a little sketchy because we're talking about events from the end of the 1100s. But the description, there's a description that um, Turnbull reports from one of the primary sources that's pretty, like, it's quite awesome. He reads like this, it's a... Tomoe had long black hair and a fair complexion, and her face was very lovely. Moreover, she was a fearless rider, whom neither the fiercest horse nor the roughest ground could dismay. And so dexterously did she handle sword and bow that she was a match for a thousand warriors and fit to meet either god or devil. Many times, that's pretty good right there, right? It's really awesome, isn't it awesome? It's so great. <laughs> to meet either God or devil. Many <laughs> times she had taken the field, armed at all points, and won matchless renown in encounters with the bravest captains. And so in this last fight, when all the others had been slain or fled, among the last seven, there rode Tomoe. She comes across as this just ultimate badass, like she's the 
prototype of what we would imagine when we think of like some great female samurai. So it's um, her story is quite amazing. And the tale goes right. that her lord didn't, you know, when it became clear that his battle was desperate and he was about to get killed because they were all going to get killed, he apparently, despite having a female samurai, still was uh, going by some fairly old-fashioned ideas. So he said, oh, come on, you know, I don't want to die. What are they going to say when they say that I died and my companion was a woman fighting for me? I can't have that, so, you know, save yourself and leave. And Tomo is kind of bugged, and so she decided to pick a fight with one of the key enemy samurai, went up to the guy, chopped off his head, and then after that he was like, okay, now I'm done. Now I can leave the battlefield. <laughs> so awesome. It's such a great scene. He paints it so well, too. And, and uh, yeah, let me just see if I can see that quote. When she leaves him, she says, uh, ah, for a bold warrior to match with that Kiso might see how fine a death I can, I can die. Yep. Just such a, so perfect. Like that's exactly, you're right. I mean, that is the pinnacle of, of, of this whole book, in my opinion, that, that, uh, her legend is, is so great. I, I'm sure there's got to be a half a dozen Japanese movies out there that, that focus on this. And I'm, I'm going to definitely hunt those down because, uh, yeah, I, I want to see the fiction. <laughs> you know, hand them down because I don't think, like the little bit that I've dug into her story, I don't remember reading of any movie. Uh, there may be, but I haven't seen anything hinting at it. So it's, uh, that would be interesting to find out if there is something or not. Because yeah, she's a perfect character built for fiction, you know. She's so, there's actually, um, uh, Savannah M who edits uh, actually our podcast and then she edits also all the History on Fire episodes and everything Savannah did the painting of Tomoe Gods and that's pretty epic where you see Tomoe with her sword and holding the head of one of the enemies it's uh, it's, it's one of my favorite I think like we're planning to turn it into a rash guard that people can wear when they grapple and stuff because Tomoe oh, is uh, Tomo is legendary uh, absolutely by the way, I'm oh, looking for. Oh, so, I know. T-shirt. The problem is that it's very colorful image, and the colors are absolutely oh, right. beautiful. So that may be right. a little tricky to render on a T-shirt, or more than tricky, it would be really incredibly expensive. But uh, right, right. yeah, you know what? I'm looking right now, and apparently there's um, there. She's the subject of a trilogy of novels, um, but oh. that's nothing. There, she's in another novel. She's. Uh, she shows up in fiction, but more literary than I don't see any example in movies. So that's interesting. I have to send, I have to send a couple texts to my friends in Japan to see if there if there is anything that's not that we can uncover for some reason. Um, is that uh, novel the three part novel? Is that uh, uh, written by a uh, North American or English speaking? I believe person, so. Or is that a I think Japanese? so. I think so. Let me look it up again because I was digging it up. Let me see when it comes up. But yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I just read that it was uh, yeah a lady named Jessica Amanda Salmonson, which doesn't sound like the most Japanese name I've heard. So <laughs> I think is uh, yeah from Seattle, Washington. So yes, that would be. I have no idea if these books are. They may be the greatest things known to man, or they may be complete crap. I have no idea. I, I haven't heard of them, and I haven't read them, so I'm not sure. But yeah, there's. Um, we can't. 
So, okay. and that passage that you are mentioning regarding her story, there's uh, in the sources after the, oh, uh, you know, how I wish to find this valiant warrior to fight with kind of thing. She says, uh, let's see, where is that? She says, after seeing this uh, strong, tough samurai on the other side, she said, immediately dashing into him, she flung herself upon Onda, the guy's name, and grappling with him, dragged him from his horse, pressed him calmly against the pommel of her saddle, and cut off his head. Then, stripping off her armor, she fled away to the eastern provinces. That's the way to make your exit. That's the way to do it. And that's very much what we we really look for, right? That's the one that she's definitely the one we look for. Oh when, yeah, when we she fits the she fits the legend for sure. Yeah, she's perfect. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, she, that definitely is one of my favorite stories. So I'm gonna have to go hunting, like I said earlier, about more stuff for, from her because that, about her, I would really like to read more. So yeah. Um, for me, I think I'll go for another Gyozen. Han Gaku, I think is her name. Han Gaku Gyozen. When she rides out from the castle, defending the castle, the siege of Torisaka. Mm-hmm. And this, this is one of those instances where uh, we, we get to understand that samurai women or women back in the day were expected to defend the castle. So they were trained to defend the castle, trained in martial arts to take on that role. And there's several instances all the way through the book of of that Castilian type of action where where there's a defender and those women, those defenders are women. So I really like that one in particular, though. Where and the art in this book is really good. The new art, not even the historical art, but sure. the new art, where seeing her come out of the out of the castle and 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 lopping off heads and and uh, and just going straight into battle. I think that that was one of my favorite. Uh, kind of images that I got from the book too. So that one is a really good also one. Yeah, the art is uh, excellent. All... There's definitely some excellent art in there for sure. There's uh and, and the story that you brought up, the fact that this idea of the castles, that's where you see a lot of like women who are not on the front lines fighting. They could still be in the castle that's been attacked. And so that's when uh, many more cases played out of women picking up arms to defend the castle. There's also some really weird story, like there's one uh, a siege uh, kind of around the time of the Sekigahara battle. There's one story where it says uh, that they are, the defenders of the castles would go out and during the fight, if they killed enemies, they would bring back heads as trophies. And then it talks about the women in charge of cleaning the heads and preparing them for display. So there's a quote there of one of the ladies who say, we weren't a bit afraid of the heads and used to sleep in the midst of the nasty smell of blood that came from them. So, yes, there's that. She's like, okay. Just just totally hard ass, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this lady didn't mess around. Uh, what about, did you read the one about, I don't, I don't know if she came from the samurai class, so I didn't know how to judge her, but did you, did you read the one about the Joan of Arc of Japan, that, that woman? Yeah, the one protecting the shrine. Yeah, yeah, I really like that battle, that, that, uh, that image also. I think she would be more of a warrior priest, though, than a, than a samurai in, in, because she wasn't part of the same class, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but did you, uh, can you describe that that story? Uh, 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 sure. Also? This one takes place in the 1540s, 
the story is that this particular lady was um, was the daughter of the chief priest of a of a shrine uh, on an island, and during the fighting that was endemic during the 1540s between various warlords, there was one particular warlord who was interested in kind of taking over the island. And by then, you know, her two elder brothers had been killed in fighting, and her father had recently died, so she had become the head priestess at 16 years old, but she was also trained in fighting arts, which kind of makes me think that maybe she was of a samurai. I, I don't know, hard to tell. It doesn't say whether she was or not samurai class, but what the book does say is that she led some of the defenders into battle, and uh, kind of trying to drive away the the enemy samurai when they were trying to raid the islands in, in 1541. And during a second attempt at invading, the, the general from the, from the enemy army was on a ship when this lady decided to just attack. Like she climbed in sort of almost ninja-esque style. She climbed aboard of the, of the main ship and look for the general for single combat. And when when the general saw her, he just laughed at her. He's like, come on, you know, it's like, I'm not fighting you, you're a little girl. And so she promptly cut him down without waiting for, you know, just under the fire, we're not messing around. If you're not taking a duel, well, you're as good as that anyway. And uh, so that story was uh, her moment of glory. And then two years later, um, the tale goes that her fiancé was killed in another one of these battles with an army trying to invade. And at that point, she drowned herself, because no Japanese story is complete without some good ritual suicide at the end. <laughs> everybody's got to die. Yes. Even in the horror movies, everybody's got to die. Now, one thing about this is, I, I, is about her armor. And mm -hmm. so maybe she was, like you said, maybe she was uh, a samurai class, but her armor is still on the island, Omishima Island, I think that was her. Her name was uh, Suruhime, I think it was, is how you pronounce it. But uh, So her armor is still on the island, and of course everything can be fashioned and changed towards the myth uh, at a later date. But I thought it was really interesting because it was definitely that armor was suited for a female's body, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's what Turnbull says. So yeah, that sounds... May, she may have been a samurai then, because it makes sense yeah. that there would be all this right. investment in equipment and stuff if that's part of the samurai class. One story, though, that did not involve a samurai, or rather it involved a samurai among the bad guys, but they are not the ladies who are the hero of our story. There's one that's probably my favorite in terms of something I didn't know already. I mean, the Tomoe Gods and I've heard already. This one I did not know, and it was awesome. Um, remember that story about this one samurai who had committed some kind of misdemeanor and then tried to hide in the fields? Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you brought this one up because this is one of my favorites too. Yeah, that one yeah, is yeah. great. So he, <laughs> he got busted by, you know, he's seen by this one random farmer who sees him there. And our samurai is not on his best thinking day, so rather he compounds a minor misdemeanor with just murdering a possible witness. So, you know, now it's a bit more of a problem. And it turns out that this farmer had two daughters, or at least that's the version that Turnbull reports. This is one of the stories where separating legend from fact is tricky, to say the least. And there are versions of, there are multiple versions of these stories, and who knows what the actual history is. But in the version that Turnbull reports, we have these two ladies 
our sisters who have now been orphaned by the action of this guy and they are mad and so one of them one of them because of the extreme poverty of her family she had become a prostitute in the Yoshiwara district so the other one goes to visit her and tell her hey this is what happened this samurai killed our father and so the two of them decide to study under the known prostitute lady's boyfriend who was a samurai and who decide to teach them how to fight so they spend some indefinite amount of time they don't tell us exactly how long this lasts training in the use of some weapons and then uh, once they feel they are decent enough at it they go to the local daimyo the local feudal lord i guess to this this story by the way happened in the mid of 1600s asking for permission to gain revenge and the daimyo think like you know what Okay, fair enough, the guy killed your father, now he spent all his life training, you guys haven't, but there's two of you, and he killed the father to both of you, so it seems reasonable that you guys can fight him at the same time, the two of you against him. And, you know, one is armed with the Naginata, and the other one is armed with this weapon, the Kusarigame, with this uh, very esoteric kind of weapon, it's this sharpened sickle with a chain at the end. And you wonder why, what's the purpose of such a weird weapon? Well, we find out right away when during this duel, the lady, the sister with the sickle and chain, she uses the chain to entangle the samurai sword of the enemy. And while he's trying to pull the sword out, her sister cuts him down with the naginata, killing it. So, so awesome. That's and, uh, quite a story. Again, I love that the fact that they actually went to, to the Lord and ask for revenge because that was part of the law back then, right? Yep. The Tokugawa law. You had to go ask for revenge, see if that was okay with everybody. But they actually did that. So I love that story. I think it's awesome. Again, I think this would be a wonderful fiction. Absolutely. Like I, this would be a great movie to watch because there, there, there's so many ups and downs emotionally to the story. And Turnbull's version of this is is not that long. It's only a, you know six paragraphs at the most do you think eh? yeah so, so so but you could make this a long you know this this begs to be a two-hour movie in a lot of ways this this particular one is awesome so i agree there are uh, some really great tales there so i yeah, i enjoyed this one a bunch i thought overall yeah. the entire book was filled with these little tales that they're all you know it's kind of disjointed in the sense because it's a bunch of little separate stories but there are some right. great ones, so it's. I think yeah. it's uh, more than, and I think the disjointed factor is is inevitable because of lack of sources. You know, we don't have long right. enough sources about any one tale to go that deep. So of course, inevitably, that's what Turnbull has to do is to kind of give us a menu samplers of the story that are out there, little bites right. here and there. I I agree. You know, I think I judge these books more and more by how much I smile. Right. And I was smiling a lot during these these stories. It was it, you know what this is a good bedtime story uh, book for adults. Yeah, right. You you need you know uh, I, mean? I think you need in your life that uh, savanna painting of Tomoe with the head of the enemy freshly <laughs> freshly harvested. That, you have to send that to me. It'll make me smile for sure. Deal. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's this. This book is a great bedtime story. It gives you, or, or sitting on the deck with a glass of wine, type of thing. It it just really, really has a great vibe to it, uh, and and is fun because the stories are fun. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I like this one. This one was, was a lot of fun for me, too. I kind of it, it it gave me a little bit of a similar feel of Warriors of Little Bighorn, mm-hmm. although that seemed to have more uh, more facts back, backing it. Of course, because Turnbull's dealing with you know pulling the legends out of you know times that were even further back in time, of course, than Little mm-hmm. Bighorn. But it had that same vibe of Little Bighorn stories that you could read one story and be satisfied with that story for a little while and then come back to it later. Definitely, and, and whereas the Little Bighorn stories, they are tied to a bigger overarching story, this one is really separate tales, you know, the only yeah. thing is there's some fighting and there are women, that's the only common themes, other than <laughs> that it's, you know, spans centuries, different people, different everything, you know. Exactly, exactly, yeah, that's good, I, I, I'm... I'm 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 excited to do more of his books. Actually, to tell you the truth. So, yeah, yeah. I so think I, uh, let's do another one after this. All right. Do you want to do what ninjas or something? Let's do what. Well, who can say no to ninjas? Come on, <laughs> we've got to say yes to ninjas. So let's uh, let's okay. look at this uh, his uh, Osprey book about ninjas. That sounds like okay. fun. It does. I think I'll have a smile on my face too. Perfect. There's, there's already, I mean, I know some stories that I heard about, and I'm sure they are going to be in the book, that are, unfortunately, when you dig deep, a lot of those turns out to be legend, and they are probably not what really happened, but the legends are so good, that is like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't care, you know, feed me the legend all day long, you know, it's good to know the history, but what I'm ultimately going to remember is the legends, because they are too good. That's right. Where do you get these, uh, these bigger-than-life stories you can't help but to 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 love the the or look into the history too so it guides us towards a little bit deeper thinking maybe but but it's nice to have the frivolous stuff yeah i'm most definitely (laughs) awesome all right thank you very much always always a pleasure daniel cool thank you
Oh, 